are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is distributed by Glassbox Media and is part of the Crawlspace Media family. Welcome back to True Crime Twins. I'm Melina, here with my twin sister, Chloe. Today, we will be discussing the case of the Duxbury mom, Lindsay Clancy, who is 32 years old and a nurse, who was accused of killing her three children before attempting suicide. The murders of five-year-old Cora, three-year-old Dawson, and eight-month-old Callan occurred on January 24th. Today, February 7th, Lindsay was arraigned from her hospital bed. On the evening of January 24th, mother of three, Lindsay Clancy, asked her husband to pick up dinner and medication from a pharmacy before returning home. She said that she did not feel like cooking because she had a very long day, which included taking her eldest child, Cora, to the doctor earlier that morning, where she apparently seemed normal and coherent. She suggested a restaurant that was a little bit farther away than the places where she would normally get food from with her family. She requested a specific meal. She took the order of her husband and she put the order in successfully. Nobody at the restaurant thought she was impaired or anything of that nature. He was gone for about 20 minutes running these errands. When he returned home, he said that the first thing that he noticed was silence. He went inside and did not see anybody initially. He went upstairs and found his bedroom door locked. He was able to unlock that door and he found blood on the floor of his and his wife's bedroom in front of a full-length mirror and the window open. He quickly ran downstairs into the backyard and found his wife bloody and laying on the ground. She had apparently slashed both of her wrists and possibly her neck before jumping out of the window. He asked Lindsay, what did you do? She replied, I tried to kill myself and then I jumped out the window. Patrick then frantically asks, where are the kids? And she replied, in the basement. He's on the line with 911 throughout this entire encounter, basically as soon as he finds his wife on the ground. But basically, when she said the basement, all of his attention understandably went towards the children because obviously something violent happened here and he wants to know where his three young children are. He went into the basement and his screams became more and more horrible as he was on the line with 911 as he discovered his two eldest children laying on the ground unresponsive with obvious signs of trauma, which included exercise bands wrapped around their necks. He unwrapped the bands and begged them to breathe. They were pronounced dead at the hospital. In his office on the floor, he discovered his eight-month-old child, also with an exercise band wrapped around his neck. When he went to the hospital, they were able to reestablish his pulse, but he was brain dead and he died. This entire thing is very shocking because... They look so normal. Patrick, Lindsay, and the three kids, they look like just a traditional family. They live in a nice area, stable jobs. Lindsay had been a nurse since 2014, and I believe she was a CNA prior to that. This is a field where people really aren't thought to have 
any kind of violent tendencies, or at least you hope that they wouldn't. It is not common for nurses to commit these heinous acts. The media started speculating about postpartum depression or even postpartum psychosis, especially because Lindsay had an eight-month-old. It did turn out that she was receiving psychiatric treatment. She had apparently checked herself into McLean Hospital and was there for five days. She had suicidal ideation, but apparently denied hearing voices or having homicidal ideation. She was trialed on all kinds of medications, had tried about a dozen over the course of several months between October and now. I'll go over each of the medications in a little bit. I did a project while I was in nursing school on postpartum psychosis, and it is a very rare but very serious condition. And one of the most important things to note if a new mother has this condition is to never, under any circumstances, leave her alone with the children or child because she is a danger to them. Nobody seems to deny that Lindsay is responsible for the deaths of the children, but her defense attorney is already going for the postpartum psychosis defense. Basically, he was saying that she was over-medicated, that the system failed her, that women with this condition are ignored and pushed aside by society. And he's not wrong about that. But then the other side is basically saying there's no evidence that she even had postpartum depression. The defense claimed that she very thoughtfully planned out this crime. She wrote in her phone, sort of like a journal, about her suicidal ideation and how she was starting to resent her older children for taking attention away from her newborn, who was supposed to be her top priority. I think that that is a normal feeling, like a small amount of healthy, I don't know, irritation, it, like a normal person who is stable would know that it's not the children's fault because they also need attention. It's hard being a parent of multiple children, particularly when you have a new baby. We don't really know anything about Patrick, but he almost made me cry because when all of this came out, one of the first things he said was, please find it in your heart to forgive Lindsay like I did. I would like to think that he was being helpful with the children and providing support. He claimed to be begging the doctors for help because his wife had turned into a zombie. I don't think that he was inattentive or negligent. I really don't know anything, but that doesn't sound to me like that type of guy. And even if he was, if Lindsay wasn't psychotic, then it's heinous. It's still heinous, but at least there would be an explanation. At least she wouldn't have that criminal responsibility of being clear-minded. But at the same time, even if she did try to get rid of Patrick for 20 or more minutes, that doesn't mean that she wasn't doing that because a voice was telling her to. In this hearing today, it was revealed that she claimed to hear a male voice that told her to kill the kids and herself. Obviously, nobody knows that for sure except for her. But if that's true, then she really doesn't bear responsibility because hearing voices is scary and you really feel like there's someone talking to you and making you do things. It's not something where you can just ignore it most of the time. What I find interesting is the way that she tried to kill herself. At first, when I heard that she jumped out of the second story window, because that was all the information that we had at the time, I was like, okay, enjoy the broken leg or broken back unless you land on your head and die. Like if you go down head first, then you might die, but you still might live. 
So that doesn't really seem like a super effective way to kill yourself, especially being an RN. She should have known that. But the fact that she did try to apparently bleed to death, she cut her wrists and maybe even her neck. Maybe she missed or maybe she just didn't have the nerve. But that also tells me, I don't know, I feel like if she was really psychotic, then that kind of fear and that resistance wouldn't have been there as much. And now a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. If she was really clear headed, she probably would have known how to kill herself more effectively. And that sounds really bad, but she is a nurse and nurses know how to sustain life and what things will not sustain life. Like if she had hung herself or done something that there's sort of a point of no return, then she would have been more successful. Apparently in the hospital, she's still under suicide watch. She's not normal in a psychological sense. She's numb. She's a paraplegic, according to her lawyer, which means that she can't move her legs. So she's not going to be in a prison because that would just be inhumane, according to him. And I agree. If she needs this much care, then it would be. She's already in danger. She's in danger because of her own brain. And she's completely defenseless. So I completely see where her lawyer is coming from on that. For now, she is to remain there under close watch. Apparently, her own parents aren't allowed to see or talk to her. Now I want to go over some of the medications that Lindsay was apparently taking before the murders. Between a span of three months, Lindsay had tried many different medications, including Ambien, Clonopin, Valium, Ativan. Those ones that I just listed are ones to help somebody sleep or calm down. So obviously somebody wouldn't be on all of those at the same time, or at least they shouldn't be. This list isn't clear about what exactly she was taking at the time of the murders. It more implies that these were just prescriptions that were written in the span of this time. So I'm sure that the intention was for her to try one of these at a time. I haven't heard of anybody ever on two of those medications that I listed at a time, ever. Other medications are Prozac, Lamictal, Remeron, Seroquel, Zoloft, Trazodone, Hydroxyzine, Amitriptyline, and Buspirone, also called Buspar. Most of these are antidepressants. Specific antidepressants like SSRIs, particularly Prozac, they have a risk of increased suicidal and even homicidal ideation, but this is very, very rare. Lamictal and Seroquel are more likely to be used as mood stabilizers, like for bipolar disorder. Seroquel is also used in psychotic disorders. Remeron, hydroxyzine, amitriptyline, and buspirone are more calming agents, as well as trazodone, and all of them are associated with sleep. So it seems like that the main concerns that were being addressed in Lindsay's care were depression and sleep and possibly daytime anxiety as well. I think that a cautious provider wouldn't have had her on more than four of these medications at a time. It would have been a combination of four at a time. So for example, something that I might see with one of my patients is 
they might take Prozac once a day, and that's a maintenance drug for depression, just like Zoloft. They might take Valium as needed every four to six hours for anxiety or insomnia. They might take Trazodone as well at night to help them sleep. And if there's concerns for mood instability, they might add Seroquel as needed or put in a combination of the antidepressant and Lamictal. But that's even I think that's a little bit much. Usually you're just on one or the other from what I've seen from my experience. So I am curious to see what combination at the time of the murders that she was on, as well as previous combinations. But I'm quite certain that there is absolutely no way that she was on all of these medications at a time. Like I said, with the really strong benzos, like the anti-anxiety medications, Ativan, Valium, Clonopin, you're on one or the other. Same thing with a lot of the other ones. It's I know that it's a mouthful and it's very hard to wrap your head around, but I'm just saying that I would be shocked if she was on more than four of these at a time. <laughs> 